Welcome to the Mental Health Adjacent Podcast, a place of support for the supporters. My name is Abby, and it is my goal to create a safe space where those that have loved ones struggling with mental health issues can feel heard and find tools to help on their journey. Here, you will listen to others sharing their experiences and get advice from professionals on how to best care for yourself while providing support for someone else. Having overcome compassion fatigue myself, it is now my mission to remind the supporters that self-care is not a luxury, but rather a necessity. Let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by Ruth Ronan, a mind health coach that specializes in SRT, subconscious release technique, and emotion code. Previous to this, Ruth worked as a sergeant in the Chicago police where she took courses in peer support and crisis intervention training to support those that were struggling with their mental health. A firm believer in the power of the mind-body connection, she's eager to help those that are struggling remove the unconscious blocks that are keeping them stuck. Let's get right into it. Hello, Ruth. Thank you for joining Hi. me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure. We connected through a Facebook group and hearing about what Ruth does, which is something we'll get to a little bit later and hearing a little bit about her experiences. It, she was definitely someone I wanted to have on. She has uh, such amazing stories and techniques to share with us today. Yeah, I do. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Ruth, tell us a little bit about your own personal experiences with mental health issues. Yeah, so I was a Chicago police sergeant for well, I was employed by the Chicago Police Department for 27 and a half years. Um, I've been retired for a little over three years now. Majority of that time I spent um, as a supervisor, as a sergeant. Most of the time I spent was working out on the street, handling calls, dealing with people, domestics, all, all sorts of things. But the one, yeah, but so obviously given that Chicago is Chicago, very large metropolitan city. And um, yeah, we had, I dealt with a lot of um, people that had mental health issues. Yes. Yeah. And how is it in that environment? I take it it's not so easy to talk about this sort of topics, is it? With, with them or? Yeah, with, with people in, in general, like inside the, the police department. And how is it, does it get open, openly addressed? Right. Yeah. So when I came on the job, that was back in 1990. So <laughs> a little while ago. Um, but so mental health really wasn't, God, I was, I was trying to remember back. I think we addressed it a little bit in my training, but not obviously what it's become now, not what it's evolved to, you know, so we would have people that had mental health issues on calls, whether it was a domestic or disturbance, or they were, you know, maybe they were suicidal or what have you. And, and back then in the early nineties, it was, we take them to the hospital. That was it. And we were done. Um, so it wasn't as involved, you know, obviously training has changed. Mental health has evolved. Um, mental health awareness has evolved and uh, they really within the probably, Oh man, the last 10, 15 years that I was on the job, and they really started to realize that, you know, the police needed to be more trained in, in, in how to deal with it because it's dangerous potentially for us or for 
the person that's suffering from mental health or one of their family members or something like that. So it's been quite an involvement and a change. It's been really nice to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Society as a whole has definitely been uh, changing a lot the way it refers to, to mental health and how it's viewed, which is definitely a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what are the main tips you could share with us that you get from training about how to deal with people that are maybe in these situations, especially the most volatile cases? Um, so, yeah, we're, yeah, being the police, we're already at a disadvantage, I think, sometimes because they see our uniform and that could just set them off already. So you really have to, yeah, man, it's, you know, every situation's different. But you really have to go in very gently. I really have to put on, I would put on what I would call like, you know, my mom hat and really just, you know, once again, be very empathetic, try to listen to what, you know, what are they saying and try to forge very quickly some sort of commonality or find something to talk to them about, to have them, potentially you want them, especially if they're, they're aggravated or agitated, you want them to be able to relax. Um, and at least calm down because it's very difficult to try to talk to someone or rationalize with them or hear them if, if, if they're at a really high level and they're agitated or mad or frustrated. So really one of the first things is, is just to kind of bring them down and get them to calm down a little bit. And then from there, see, you know, Hey, what's going on with you? Like, you know, what's happening today? What sets you off? And you just kind of, it's kind of like na navigating a minefield. Yeah, I feel like communication can be such a tough thing. For me, I know that was kind of one of the biggest roadblocks in our relationship, knowing how to properly communicate and um, not feel mm -hmm. like I was walking on eggshells, constantly worrying about triggering my partner. But also, it's also really hard when you see them for, in my case, my partner would sometimes have anxiety attacks. And it was such a, th a tough thing to want to help him calm down but sometimes you really don't know what to do because other than remind them to breathe there's really not much you can do for them at that point right yeah like i said each each case is you know each case is different each person's different each episode's different i mean you know there'd be times where we could go back to the same person's you know, get called back to their home or we had some group homes in the area that i worked with and you know the minute they get off their meds or something, you know, one, one wrong word and, you know, then they're set off again. So sometimes, you know, it's, it, it, for us, it would be good because, you know, we'd have that rapport and, and like, we'd, you know, we'd hear, if I would hear the address, I'd be like, you know what? I, yeah, I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I know exactly who you're talking about. Let me, let me go over there and see what I can do. So that, that's always, um, that would, that would be helpful too. Yeah. So when we first talked, you told me a little bit about the peer support that you do. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the peers, well, we did peer support and then the CIT. So peer support is, uh, it's, um, you have to apply for that training. It's within the police department, but it's an outside, partially, partially outside agency that comes and teaches us. But basically, it's a 40-hour, very in-depth course, and we learn how to recognize, well, not only recognize, but be able to help our fellow officers if they're going through a tough time. So we're kind of the, the media, the mediary, like the in-between, if they're not ready to go to like employee assistance or employee assistance program and speak with the doctors or clinicians there. 
but being able to recognize, hey, somebody's off or someone comes to us, would come to me and say like, you know, my partner, I don't know, he, he or she's not acting quite right. I think there's something wrong. And for me, just keeping an eye on my people and kind of being able to recognize maybe something's wrong. They're not feeling right. They're having some problems. We also utilize that in a situation if we ever had like a critical incident, let's say if we had a police officer that was killed or was shot or, you know, like a, a any sort of traumatic incident that can impact the officer's, you know, mental health and being there for them and listening to them and talking to them. And if we have to be able to get them the help that they need right away. Right. So what are some of the cues or, you know, symptoms that you would look for that would cue you that the other person may be going through a tough time? And what are some of the ways that you can address that with them without, you know, having them put their guard up like right away? You're right. Yeah. Look for things in, in their appearance. So if they were always like, you know, their uniform was really well kept or like they're just their physical appearance. Like it just starts to not look right. Um, they start to get sloppy and they're the way that they look. If they're starting, if you notice that they're starting to lose weight, they're not, they're not their lap. Like sometimes some of them are all of a sudden they just become very um, withdrawn and become very way introverted when they weren't before. It's kind of a, it's really the police are quite kind of a unique bunch because we're, we're, we're very good actors. You know, we're, we're, we're taught not to feel, not to trust. And so for us, a lot of times, you know, um, you know, even when you, when you go on, on, on jobs or on calls and you see these horrible things that we see and to be able to sit there with a very stoic face, like, you know, and not show any emotion. So we're really like, even, um, uh, I, f I feel as a, as a, as a whole, as a group of people, it's, we're much, can be a little bit more challenging to identify, For me personally, I mean, I was just very aware of the officers that worked for me, like kind of knew what was going on in their lives without being too, too, too nosy. So then you, you do know if something, something's not right. It's just being very, very aware of that. And then even if they do go on a call or they handle a job or they do something and you know, it's traumatic. Um, and then you just like, I would keep an extra eye on them to see, you know, okay, how are they responding? How are they dealing with it? You know, like I said, really, really using my intuition and just, just trusting my gut that, you know, if there was something wrong and then just really keeping an extra eye on them or, and then, you know, taking to that next step and maybe having a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And how would we, how would you approach that conversation? I mean, because I know a lot of people can get really defensive and it's not something that is easy to accept even with oneself when, when you need help. So what are some recommendations you can give us or things that have worked for you in the past to, you know, like start that conversation and maybe mm -hmm. recommend to that person if they do actually need to reach out and get some help. Right. Yeah. What I would usually do is find some, find an area to go meet with them where nobody else was around. Um, not so once again, they don't feel like they're being picked on or they don't want anyone else to, you know, well, well why, why, why is she talking to him or her? So I would, I would, you know, start there and then just kind of, you know, general conversation kind of, you know, to 
once again, get them to relax and then gently just, you know, ease into it. And I'd be like, Hey, listen, you know, I, I I'm, I'm noticing that you don't quite seem to be yourself and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm really concerned for you and I care. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you. If, you know, if you, if you want to talk or if I can help you in any way, like I said, once again, you know, each person's different. I'd have to see, you know, some of the, some of the guys that worked for me are a little bit more, how should I put it? A little more stoic, a little more tougher and just kind of gauge the conversation, but just really in the beginning, just letting them know, listen, that I'm there for you. I care. There's no judgment. One of the nice things too, that we had with this peer support was that whatever they told me was, what's the word I'm on? Just drew a blank. Um, Confidential. Yeah, there's we had that that confidentiality, so anything they told me would stay between the officer and me. And so I would, you know, I would remind them of that, you know, and that I, I truly, you know, I care and I and I want to help, and they're not alone, and they don't have to they don't have to go through this alone. I mean, <clears throat> I would remind them too that yeah, we, we you know we physically in our uniforms we would wear a vest, but you know, and we kind of put this S on it. But that doesn't mean, you know, underneath we all bleed, you know, we're all, we're all human and it's okay to, it's okay to say you need help or I just need someone to talk to. And, you know, there's no shame in that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that is one of the biggest struggles getting, getting the help. And as a supporter, I know sometimes it's really hard to get the other person to get help because you can't force someone to get better if they're not willing to. And it's one of the things I've noticed the most that people that are in the supporter role end up in this kind of like position where their partner is not willing to get the help or do the treatment that they have to do to get better. And so you're stuck with someone that, you know, you, you kind of don't have any hope that the situation will get better because the other part is not willing to do their work to, for it to get better. And you're kind of like in this, in this position where you really don't want to abandon the other person or you don't want to stop being their support, but then they're not doing anything to support themselves. And it's really hard to know when it really comes to time where you would just have to take a step back and focus on yourself and be like, okay, I can't keep doing this if the other person is not going to do their part. Right. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> that. I can't imagine. Yes. Yes. So you mentioned there was another program as well. Um, what was that one like? So that is called our um, CIT, so crisis intervention training. That was training. So I did the overall one. We had youth, a youth one, and then one for um, veterans. And those were each 40 hours. Very intensive, taught by an outside agencies within the city of Chicago. But what I loved about that training was, is we had doctors come and explain to us, you know, all the different types of mental illness and potentially what types of medication could be on and what happens and, you know, the, the, the history and the background around that. But what I thought was the, what I really loved about that training was they actually had people that are, have like bipolar or, I mean, they actually had people that have mental health illnesses who came and spoke with us. And then we did role-playing scenario-based exercises where they would, you know, we were the police and how would you, you know, approach a situation and how would you talk to someone and how would you deal with it? So I really loved it because, you know, it's not just, just some people acting. I mean, these are people that 
they've been there, lived it, are living it, you know, are on their meds and they're, and they're fine, but they know what it's like when they're not fine and what could potentially set somebody off. Like I said, just very, and then dealing with, with your, when you're dealing with youth, you know, the whole youth population, if, if they have mental illness, whatever. And then you have, like I said, then your veterans to deal with working with veterans. And, you know, and that's a whole different, once again, so each one is unique. And so just being able to approach each group in an own, in its, in a, you know, in its own way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely every case is different and every person is different. So as, as I like to say, like nothing we're talking about here can be used for every single case because everything changes on a case case by case scenario, mm-hmm. but it's definitely good to, to be able to have those instances when you can come in contact with people that, you know, live that it can can share their experiences because i think that's one of the hardest thing as well sometimes when you have never experienced what it's like to have anxiety or depression or um whatever it is it's sometimes really hard to understand what's going on inside the other person's mind mm-hmm. so it's um, it can be really difficult to fully empathize with them because you really don't know how it is that their minds work Right. And it, and it's also, I learned quickly too, is there's a difference between sympathy and empathy, especially too, is, you know, you don't want to say, oh, I know what you're going through. If you don't know what they're truly going through, you know, empathy is really being able to walk in that person's shoes and see what they're seeing and feeling what they're feeling. But a lot of times where people can get tripped up is when they say, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. Well, do you? <laughs> do yeah. you really know what they're going, you know, can, and, and if you say that, then you, you know, once again, and if it's true, okay, then, you know, that's fine. But be ready. They're probably going to call you out on it potentially and, and want to know more information. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So any highlights you've learned throughout, through those trainings that you could share with us and that people could apply to, you know, their own situations when dealing with, the, with their loved ones? Yeah, I think you just, once again, it, it, man, talk about, you got to start, you got to take a deep breath and just try to, you yourself have to be very, very calm. And if they're, you know, if, if they're like at it, acting at a level 10, you, you can't, you can't be at a 10 and, and hope to get them to, you know, to calm down. I mean, you've just you, using your voice, you watching your body language, body language is huge from you. Um, and being able to even potentially read somebody else's body language. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big thing too, but you know, how are you approaching that person? Are you in their personal space, giving yourself that distance, your tone of voice, showing that calm and concern, but it, it, but it has to be genuine. You know, that's a thing too, being very genuine and, and, and showing that you care, you want to help them and listening. What, what are they saying? You know, one of my favorite things is, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for one reason. We're supposed to listen more than we talk and listening to what, you know, Hey, what's going on with you today? How can I help? And let them talk. And if 90% of it makes absolutely no sense to you, it could be that 5% or maybe there's one sentence that they say where you're like, Oh my God, you're upset today because it's raining. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want it to be, yeah, like, I'm all upset. I can't go outside. I can't do, you know, so really just taking the time, like I said, to really listen. And it's, like I said, it's not just, you know, there's a lot of things, like I mentioned, um, but, you know, kind of taking that all into account and coming from a space of, you know, that, that 
that you're there to help them. You truly want to help. You know, I think it's, it's a different level when it's someone that, you know, it's a loved one, it's a significant other, what have you, as opposed to, you know, obviously in the police world for me, sometimes I would never see these people again, but nonetheless, I still, I, I still came from the space of wanting to help and to be there and to see what, you know, whatever I could do, whatever that would be to get them to, to be better. Right. And um, what are, what have been some of the things that have allowed you to look after your own, you know, mental health and your, your mental well-being? Because when you're exposed to all these different situations, and not just when it comes to mental illness, but as a police mm -hmm. officer, you're exposed to all of this, you know, things that you see that can be really detrimental to your mental well-being. So how, what have you found helps you uh, preserve your, your energy and look after your mental well-being? Yeah, I would, I mean... Another thing I learned very quickly, a couple of things. When I would, at the end of my shift, when I would put my stuff in my locker at work, everything that happened that day at work, I'd put in the locker and I'd close my locker and that was it. Like I had to leave it there. I, I couldn't bring it home. I had, you know, now my kids are a little bit older, but especially when I had kids. One, that would be one. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's the end of the day, whatever happened, it's, it's got to stay there. I can't bring it home with me. Really taking time out for yourself every day. I don't care if it's five minutes. You have to do something for yourself. So whether for me, I, I, I would work out and run. Like I, I would have to do that. Um, it's just my stress release, my way to just kind of off some steam and feel better. So whatever that is for you, taking a bath, yoga, listening to music, um, finding time though for yourself every day. Like I said, a minimum of five minutes and if it could be more, more is better. Recognizing that, you know, if you do need to go talk to someone or the emotions are getting to be too much or what have you, to go ahead and reach out to someone. You know, there's no shame. There's absolutely no shame in that asking for help. We can't, some, you know, we're not meant to do everything by ourselves all the time. Really just, you know, and, and being aware of where you're at, you know, where's your headspace. At the time, whether the last part of my um, career, I was, honestly, I used essential oils. It sounds crazy, but there was one oil that I would use and it was called Stress Away. Man, that thing, there's some days I'd want to open the bottle and drink it. But I'm telling you, I would smell that and it was like vacation in a bottle. And I had it with me all the time at work. And sometimes I would just, you know, I would just smell it and do some deep breathing really quick in the car and it would just calm me down. Like I said, sometimes I wanted to bust the bottle open and drink it, but it's okay because it, it worked. <laughs> it worked for me. So yeah, I think it's definitely so important to find what it is that works for you. And that the, that thing you mentioned about taking time for, your, for yourself it's so key and it's sometimes one of the main things to go out the window you know when you're it wasn't my case but when you're maybe married to someone that because of anxiety or depression or whatever it is they can't pull their weight in their relationship and you're taking care of you know uh, paying bills and taking care of kids and stuff it can often be really hard to find time for yourself but it, having that moment to kind of like decompress and, and let everything go it, it's so key in keeping yourself afloat Mm -hmm. and, and I would even challenge, you know, people when they say to me, well, I don't have time. I said, well, pencil it in, like put it in your, in your calendar on your phone or wherever. It's no different than if you're going to go to, a, I don't know, to get your haircut, go to the dentist or do something like that. If you put it in your calendar and you set, you know, time, you know, whatever it is, that thing that you want to do for the five minutes or once a week, treat yourself to to get a massage or to go to a yoga class or something. So I just, I, I just challenge people, you, you, you have the time. 
You make, you have to make the time because if you don't care, take care of you, if you don't keep your cup full, you can't fill anybody else's cup. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I like to say is that well-being is not a currency. So you can, uh, you know, pay for someone else's at the expense of your own. Mm -hmm. So it really is very key to take that time to, to re-energize yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you work with something called subconscious release technique. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how it can help people that are struggling or maybe, you know, the supporters as well? I think I've experienced it, experienced it with you and I think it's a very powerful tool. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Yes, it's, um, oh my God, it's amazing. I wish I would have had this <laughs> when I was still on the job, but um it's okay, better late than never. So yes, it's called Subconscious Release Technique or SRT. It was developed by a woman named Coral Grant uh, about 12 years ago. And it's a technique that helps remove mental and emotional blocks that, that are keeping you from reaching any goals, whether it be job goals, personal goals, relationship goals, uh, if you have money blocks, if you have self-esteem issues, in, in area, any area, uh, you're not able to attract your soulmate. Um, so basically it's, it's a breathing technique. It's honestly very simple. It's done, done over the phone. So you can, you can live anywhere. You can be anywhere. So for example, Sabi's there in Uruguay and I'm in the United States in Tennessee um, and use, just use WhatsApp or Zoom or what have you. But basically, you know, I'm, I'm able to, by having you talk for a few moments, see, okay, where, where are you stuck right now? What do you want to work on? And by, going back and listening to your experiences that occur primarily usually the first 18 years of your life and finding out where are those blocks or what your sub, what your subconscious was told or believed about a situation or an event and then basically then then I do all the work and 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 the person just breathes and we're able to identify the emotions that are tied to that event and we're able to get rid of them and then we replace them I mean, it sounds very simplistic, but I mean, I'm, as as you experienced it, it is quite that simple. But my God, it is it is so powerful and very results based. It's very direct. Yeah, I just like I said, I I I, I wish I would have had it then, but I've been able to help. Oh my God, a wide range of people from uh, as young as age three all the way on up, um, in all sorts of different places different spaces in their life and different issues and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was definitely a very powerful experience for me, but I think it can be so helpful, especially for, for people, you know, for the supporters, if you mm -hmm. struggle with putting up boundaries or, you know, if you struggle with, with taking care of yourself and it, it may be related to something in your subconscious that it's not allowing you to, to put that in your present, present experience. And it can really be very helpful to kind of like, change your perspective and help you better look after yourself. Right. And I'm sure, yeah. Like even if you, if you have guilt over that, like, you know, where, where's that, you know, where's that programming coming from or what, what are you saying to yourself? You know, um, how are you internalizing potentially if, if your, you know, your partner or loved one, you know, maybe they say something to you, you know, does that trigger you? Did, did you hear that before? Or how do you process that now? Even if you've never heard that before, you know, well, am I taking that personally? Are they, is it because they weren't feeling well? They're taking it out on me and just dealing with those emotions in and of itself. Like, how do I deal with this? Yeah, I feel like that is so key. I know for me, one of the main things that happened to me in my relationship, especially towards the beginning, 
was that I didn't give myself space to have emotion, especially negative ones, because I felt like, you know, it would trigger my partner and I wasn't the one that was suffering with, with a mental illness and I wasn't the one that was struggling or having a bad time. So like I had no right to have negative emotions because I, that was, you know, like he's, he's, um, he's right. And he only, he was the only one that was allowed to feel that. So for me, um, learning to validate my emotions and hold space for my emotions was such an important part of healing and also, you know, learning to, to put up those boundaries and take care of myself. So I think it's really, really important. And something like this can really help with experiencing those emotions and, and finding the root of them so that they don't overwhelm you. Yeah, for sure. Because exactly. And that's, that's the key that you said, finding the root. Like, you know, just getting to the root cause, getting rid of it, but, and, but not, right, but not, not, you don't have to suffer, you know, just like I said, nav, nav, being able to navigate the emotions that you're going through, deal with them and, and, and get rid of the unhealthy beliefs, whether it's the, the negative self-talk that you have or are having, but really being able to take care of yourself fully so then you can attend to that you know, and be there for that person as well. And I feel like this is, this is just, just an, an amazing quick way. And it's, and it's very good to, you know, and you'll constantly be able to keep on top of things as they come up. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good way to also avoid having outbursts because, you know, when you're feeling all of these things and you're not giving yourself space to experience those emotions and address them then it all bites up and it won't eventually just blow up so if you're dealing with them um through this technique and allowing yourself to you know find the reasons for them and then release them then you're going to not experience those um explosions of emotion yes yeah for sure yeah because if it once it reaches that boiling point then it not that it's too late but then it's it's just that much. It's just more difficult. Why make it more difficult on yourself? Absolutely. And for the partners that are struggling with uh, mental health, I assume this is also you can do alongside, you know, regular therapy to kind of address mm -hmm. some of the things that may be lingering in the background. Yeah. We, um, many people use this with other modalities. So it's just, um, honestly, I'm, I'm, well, I do, I mean, I do yoga. I'm not super familiar with a lot of other modalities other than I've I've heard them. This was kind of my first experience in them, but I just, I fell in love with it so much, but it's just, it's just another tool for you to have. And the more tools you have to be able to deal with your own mental health and emotions and dealing with, with them, what have you to be your best self, why not take it? I mean, it's just something else to have another tool in your toolbox. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is amazing. Like for me, it was such an extraordinary experience. And I was able to release things that sometimes you don't even realize you're still holding on to, but they really determine a lot of uh, how you're living your life. Because at the end of the day, the subconscious mind is the one that, you know, it's guiding us most of the time when, without us even realizing it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your subconscious runs what, what 98, 99% of what you do. And it's your auto, I call it your autopilot. Like you don't, you don't even know what's, you don't even know what you're, how you're responding or reacting to things most of the time because you just do it just much like when you tie your shoe now, you really think about how you're tying your shoe. No, you, you just know how to do it and you do it. You can do it with your eyes closed. So how can the listeners reach out to you if they want, you know, to know more about what you do or if they want to schedule an appointment with you, what are the, the social networks they can find you at? 
Yes. Yeah. And just so you know, all, all first sessions with me, you get a free 30 to 40 minute session. It's free. It's free. It's on the house. My gift. You can experience it, see how it works for you. As Sabby knows, I mean, in 30 minutes, 30, 35, 40 minutes with her, we were able to, like I said, it's very powerful in that short amount of time. So I'm on Facebook. It's Ruth Ronan, R-U-T-H. And then my last name is R-O-N-A-N. I have short hair. I have glasses. I think I'm the only Ruth Ronan out there. And I'll link it all in the, in the show notes so they can easily find you. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I can, um, my email address, someone can, if they want to reach out to me by email, um, and I can give, I don't know, I can give a worldwide base here. I can give my WhatsApp number and yeah, I'm, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You guys definitely want to take advantage of that free session. It really is super powerful and there's a lot that can be done. Uh, I know 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time but you can get a lot done in that time. And it really is something amazing to experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. (laughs) All right, Ruth, thank you so much for being here with me today. It was really amazing um, talking with you and I love getting to connect with you and hopefully we'll continue to chat soon. Yeah, no, thank you so much. You're amazing. And I love, I love what you're doing here and it's just, you're awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Mental Health Adjacent Podcast. I hope you found the information shared helpful. If you liked the show, please take a few minutes to leave a review. It would mean the world to me. If you aren't yet, remember you can join the Facebook group Mental Health Adjacent Community, a safe space where we support the supporters. And you can follow me on Instagram on at mh.adjacent. Until next time.